Well, good evening. You came back. All right, so I'm glad that you're here. Um, I know this is a different different thing to talk about, um, but I hope it can help people that are, even though you're not maybe struggling with it, to help somebody else. That's the the goal. Um, When I was a young person in, in... uh, the summer in Bible college, I was home and I was working, and I worked with a man <clears throat> who um, who was a deaf man, and uh, I'd never really been around a lot of deaf people, and uh, he was kind of a jolly fellow and, and always kind of cutting up, and, and I w- he was teaching me some sign language, and we'd pick on each other. Um, got to know him, invited him over for uh, Thanksgiving, him and his wife, she was deaf, and, uh, you know, I was learning about how they communicate. You know, what, when, if somebody comes to visit them at their home, if you knock on the door, ring the doorbell, how are they going to know that you're there? You know, so he told me, you know, you ring the doorbell, and they had lights that light up, you know. That's why it was pretty neat. And uh, like driving a car, you know, and being aware with, without, the, without the sound. But I'm, I'm bringing that up to say that I learned that there was a whole group of people in the in that city, it was in Green Bay, Wisconsin, that city that there were a whole bunch of deaf people. I didn't even know they were there. But he, you know, they connected with each other and they would do things together. And I'm saying that because of the thing that we're talking about last night and tonight, there's a whole bunch of people who struggle with what I'm talking about. And um, they're there and there are people that are hurting and, and uh, you will come in contact and uh, hopefully be able to help them and then point them to the Lord. So um, we, we will take some time. I don't think we'll be as long tonight. We'll take some time at the end to um, answer some questions. So if, you're, if you have a question as we're going through, I took the questions that you had last night, and I think I incorporated them, uh, most all of them, into what I'll talk about tonight. So hopefully your question will be answered. If not, um, in the question time, you can ask it again, and, and I'll be glad to try to help answer that. Let's take our Bibles to start tonight in Isaiah chapter 50. We'll look at one verse in Isaiah chapter 50. Isaiah chapter 50, and we're going to be looking at verse 10. The Bible says, Who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servant, that walketh in darkness and hath no light. Let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God. And let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity again to gather tonight. And uh, Lord, I pray that you bless your word. And uh, Lord, I, you know that the things that we're going to discuss have been prayed over and uh, seriously sought your face about what to say. And, and uh, Lord, now I'd ask that you would empower uh, what is said. And uh, Lord, help it to fall on the ears of those that need it. And uh, Lord, be a help and a blessing to to all of us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Last night I I gave my testimony, uh, if if anybody wasn't here. um, And I spoke to you on the the subject of anxiety and depression, just kind of telling what I went through and um, explaining that. And tonight I want to talk about healing for anxiety and depression. After going through something like that, how can we get better? Is there hope? Yes, there is hope. And we can get better, and God can help us. And so I want to talk to you about that a little bit tonight. 
And some of the things that I'm going to say, you say, well, I've never had anxiety, never had depression. Some of the things I'm going to talk about tonight are just good principles for, for all of us. And so hopefully you'll be able to gain something in that way too. There, there are times in life when the lights seem to go out and we're in a season of darkness. Such is the case with anxiety and depression. But, but not just that. There are times in life when we all, whether we have that or not, we seem to be left in the dark. Um, some have been at the deathbed of a child and in incomplete darkness as to why this is happening. It makes no sense to me for a child to die. I don't understand it. I'm not judging God, but I don't think we understand that. Why wouldn't a child be allowed to live? But people have had children and they've gone through that awful time. It's a time of darkness. We don't understand Many have lost spouses after many years, and they enter a time of darkness, of grieving and loneliness, and it's a time in their life where they're, 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 they have that. Sometimes people face financial problems that put them in dark places because they see no way out of this. They've had a reversal, they've lost a house, they've lost a job. It's, it's a time of darkness, and you say, Lord, I need help. Many things can break your heart in life and bring you into a period of discouragement or darkness. And it's a natural tendency, and I don't think it's wrong, but it's a natural tendency when that happens for us to ask, why? Why, why has this happened to me? Why am I going through this? And why did this late relationship failure happen? Why couldn't things just be, uh, you know, parents split up and there's kids that, you know, are hurting now. Why, Lord, why did my parents have to split up? Or why did this other relationship happen to happen? And You know, we, we just sometimes ask why. We saw Job asking the question, why last night? I'll just remind you, uh, in Job chapter 23, verses 2 through 5, Job said, even today is my complaint bitter. My stroke is heavier than my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which, I w- which he would answer me and understand what he would say unto me. And we talked about it last night, how Job went through a time where he felt abandoned by God. And he wanted to know why. Lord, where are you? Now, we know what was going on. If you think about the book of Job, we know why. I mean, in one day, he lost his kids. He lost his, you know, his wealth and we know because we know the story. We know the conversation between God and Satan, and you know we've read the book. But when Job went through that, he didn't know. He had no idea. Yeah, I like what he said. He said, "Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him." He didn't lose his faith. He kept trusting the Lord, and so it's a completely natural to want to know why. But a better question to ask ourselves is a question: How? How should I respond to this circumstance? How am I going to get through this situation? How am I going to respond to things I don't understand? Some people get bitter when problems come and they forsake the Lord, but that's never the answer. Never. God is still good and right even when we don't understand what is going on. He's always good. He's always right. And uh, sometimes in there, there, there may be things in life we never get the answer to, or maybe it'll be down the road. Um, but those things are up to God, and he's good. 
we, we see how we're supposed to respond to times of darkness in our text. If you look again at verse 10 of chapter 50, the answer to it is to keep trusting the Lord. Verse 10 says, let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God. I like that word, stay upon his God. That comes from the idea of a shepherd's staff. Uh, and uh, you, lean, you know they have that to lean upon for one thing, one of the reasons they use it for. The idea is to lean upon God and to trust in him. But look at our verse. Isaiah wrote this. He said, who, who is among you that feareth the Lord and that obeyeth the voice of his servant that walketh in darkness and hath no light? Isaiah is not talking about a wicked sinner in the dark here. He's talking about someone who fears the Lord and obeys his voice and yet finds himself in a time of darkness. Godly, sincere saints of God may go through times of darkness. We saw that with Charles Spurgeon last night, didn't we? Jesus told us in this life that we'll face troubles and problems. He said, you shall have tribulation. And we know that this life is not heaven and it it won't be a bed of roses. Peter said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Trials are part of the Christian life. Uh, David knew what dark times in, in his life. He, he wrote, if you read the Psalms, he wrote often about it. Just to give you a couple of scriptures. In Psalm 13, uh, verse 1, he said, How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? Forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? David was having a hard time. He was in darkness. And I was kind of chuckling to myself when I read that because he said, How long without forget me, O Lord? Forever? Kind of sounds like a little kid. Forever? We're going on this trip. Are we ever going to get there? Forever? You know? But Lord, how long are you? And, and so we see that. And then, and then we also see in Psalm 10, verse 1, it says, Why standest thou far off, O Lord? Why hidest thy face in times of trouble? Boy, that's a mystery when you're going through a hard time and you've you need an answer. You need some direction, and it doesn't come in your time. We feel like that. Lord, where are you here? Job knew. Of course, we talked about him. He knew dark times, but he said in Job chapter 19 and verse 8, he said, he fenced, he, talking about God, he hath fenced up my way that I cannot pass, and he has set darkness in my path. Habakkuk prayed in Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 2. He said, O Lord, how long shall I cry, then thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Habakkuk saying, when I tried to pray to God, it seemed like the heavens were brass. I couldn't get an answer. John the Baptist, how about him? John the Baptist, who Jesus said is the greatest man born of woman, when he was in prison, sent and asked to ask Jesus a question. What was the question? Art thou he that should come? Are you the Messiah? Or shall we look for another? John was doubting because he was in darkness and he was in prison. Things were not going how he thought. What I'm trying to say is that when you go through times of darkness in the Christian life, you're in good company. Many of God's choicest servants went through times of darkness. We see, we just listed several in the scriptures. Times of darkness. Did you know that pastors go through it? 
Do you know that missionaries go through it? The letters that we read for the missionaries are usually just the highlights. Did you realize that? They don't talk about the hurts and the sorrows and the burdens, usually. They'll have a list of a few um, prayer requests at the bottom, but they usually don't, well, we say complain or whatever, but just tell all the bad things that happen. They, they try to tell the good things. But they go through times. that uh, That's why we, we need to pray for them and, and support them and encourage them. But listen, if you're a Christian long enough, you will experience times of darkness. Times when you feel your prayers are not getting answered or times when you, you don't understand why. And so godly Christians go through times of darkness and it, it, it may be some, worse for some than others. Not everyone's going to experience anxiety and depression like we talked about last night. And I'm glad they don't, but all of us are going to face some hard times and some troubles. And here's the thing, in the dark times of life, our greatest job is to keep trusting God and staying upon His Word. God never changes. His Word never changes. He'll always be there. Even the dark times of our life are orchestrated by God for our good and for His glory. We all love the sunny days when everything's going great. But it's the midnight experience of life when we're crying out to God that those are the times that we really grow when we get close to the Lord. Someone said this, faith is like film. It's developed in the dark. <laughs> and I thought, I really like that, but I thought, well, the young people aren't going to get that anymore. We don't, what's film, right? <laughs> but it, it's, a, it's very good. I, I, enjoy, I think it speaks to me. Faith is like film. It, it's developed. In the dark, our, our faith is developed in the dark times because we're, we're, we're trusting what we cannot see. And isn't that what the Bible says? The Christian life is supposed to be a life of faith. The just shall live by faith. Really, listen. The whole life of a Christian comes down to this, trusting God. Trusting God. Trusting that his word is real. Trusting that God is real. Trusting that he sent his son to die for our sins on the cross. And trusting that if we, we put our faith and trust in him, he will save us and take us to heaven and die. It's all about trusting God. Even in the dark. And so our text tells us that we are to trust, to obey, and to lean upon our God. Now let me give you some things to, to tonight. Um, to get healing for anxiety and depression, some of the, these things will apply not only to anxiety and depression, but to other dark times that we can go through in life. So the first thing that I want to give you is kind of what we've been talking about already. The first thing is keep trusting the Lord and looking to the Lord even in the darkness. Keep trusting in the Lord and looking to the Lord, searching for the Lord even in the darkness. One of the things that happened to me that I spoke about last night when I was in the deep, that deepest part of the depression it was, was so troubling to me was I could not feel the presence of God. So troubling. Now, I've grown up in church. I was saved at a young age. Listen, I've, I've always known the presence of God. I'd be in a service and God would speak to my heart. 
I'd be reading my Bible, God would come and speak to my heart. I'm studying as a pastor, God comes in the room, boy, it's wonderful. But in my darkness of my depression, I couldn't find the Lord. I couldn't feel him. And here's the thing. God was there. But this thing, depression, that I don't fully understand, it, makes, it made my emotions just dead. I told you last night. that It was like a dead man walking. I couldn't, I couldn't, ha- I didn't have these emotions. I was joyless. I couldn't, and that's just, it's just what happens physically or mentally. But I, I don't want to, I don't want to in any way uh, shame my Lord. He is, he was there and I know he was. I just, it's really tough. One of the, you talk to people who have gone through that deep depression, it just, boy, it's so lonely, so dark. But even in the darkness is what we're talking about. Keep looking to the Lord, even in the darkness. We need to trust him. We said last night that <clears throat> Job couldn't find the Lord, but God knew right where Job was. And he knows where you are tonight, and he knows where I am tonight. And we need to trust them even in the darkness. So that's the first thought to help with anxiety and depression is that you've got, to keep, you've got to keep believing and keep trusting the Lord even when it's dark and even when you don't understand and even when it's so hard. Just keep your faith in God. Number two, how to get healing from anxiety and depression. Number two is pray for wisdom. Pray for wisdom. Ask God to guide you to getting the help that you need. I mentioned last night that when I didn't know what was going on with me, I, the scripture came to my mind of, of James chapter 1 and verse 5 where it says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not and it shall be given him. And I claimed that verse and I said, Lord, you, the word of God, you said in the scripture that if we, if we lack wisdom, Lord, I, I don't know what's going on. I need your help. And I went, I began to search. I told you, I remember my doctor said the symptoms I was having. She said, I think you're having anxiety and depression. I, I said, I didn't want to admit that. I didn't know what that was. I didn't feel depressed. But I said, Lord, I need wisdom. I began to search. Okay, I'll search anxiety. What's this about? I began to read about it. Um, I went online to learn about anxiety and depression. I came across a website, a website that I mentioned last night, anxietycenter.com. Now, somebody asked one of the questions about that. So um, I'll give it to you again, anxietycenter.com. It's spelled anxiety and then C-E-N-T-R-E.com. Anxiety, one word, anxietycenter.com. And I believe that God led me to this site because it was full of information that really helped me. I didn't know what anxiety was. Like I said, I was in the dark. I, I didn't know about it. But I, what I found out about uh, that anxiety, about reading on that website, uh, really helped me. And, and, and here's what, let me give you a definition. You have to follow closely. I don't, I don't want to leave you behind, but so try to listen. Um, here's what they, des- the, they des- described anxiety was. They said it's a state of uneasiness apprehension and fear resulting from anticipation of a realistic or fantasized threatening event or situation often impairing physical and psychological functioning. I said, hmm, 
I'm experiencing some of that. I read on. Anxiety occurs when we behave in an apprehensive manner, such as when we worry about uh, an event or a situation. With this in mind, anxiety is not a force or a thing in itself. It's It's a state of uneasiness that results when we worry about something. Behaving in an overly apprehensive manner creates the uh, psychological and physiological and emotional state of anxiety. Anxiety activates the stress response that stresses the body. A body that becomes overly stressed can exhibit symptoms of stress. I continued reading. So anxiety symptoms are actually symptoms of stress. They are called anxiety symptoms because behaving apprehensively is the main source of the stress that overly stresses the body, which then causes the body to exhibit symptoms. Now listen, because everybody's body is somewhat chemically unique, the type and number and intensity, duration and frequency of anxiety symptoms will vary from person to person. I don't know if you remember from last night, we talked about how this is a a spectrum Somebody can have some of it. Somebody can be really, really, really deep into it. And because we're all different. For example, one person might have just one mild or a few mild anxiety symptoms, whereas another person might have all the anxiety symptoms to a great severity. All combinations and varieties are common. Anxiety attacks, also referred to as panic attacks, are episodes of high-intensity fear and anxiety. Panic attacks often occur suddenly out of the blue. Sometimes the cause of a panic attack is obvious, such as when you feel immediate danger uh, and uh, there's no escape. But other times, panic attacks can seem to occur without reason. Panic attacks and their symptoms can last from just a few minutes to hours. And I told you, I was in one of those for a couple of weeks. I didn't know that's what it was, but I was in high gear. Adrenaline was kicked in. Remember I told you I lost 20 pounds? It was just going. I was stuck in high gear, and I couldn't get out of that. And it filled me with fear, filled me with, uh, with pain. And so it can be short, it can be long, you can be stuck in it. During the the attack, most people feel an incredible amount of fear, trepidation, foreboding, which is often accompanied by a strong urge to try to escape, a feeling that you're about to lose control, and for many, that they may even die. You talk to people about who've gone through this, they feel like they're going to die. They'll say, I thought I was going to die. The feelings, sensations, and symptoms that accompany a panic attack can be so strong that just the thought of having another one creates strong anxiety. You see how it can become a a cycle. You're so fearful that you're going to get into that again that you you worry about it, and then there you are in it again. As I read this for information, I'm just reading to you, I just read to you some things that I read from there, and you can probably find that yourself. But as I read that, remember I went into it not knowing what anxiety was and what this was all happening to me. But as I read that, I said, wow. That's what's happening to me. This describes what I've been feeling. And and then I read a list of the physical symptoms that anxiety can cause. And I told you about that last night. I read through, if you remember, uh, 
chest, uh, tightness in your chest, chest pain, tightness in your back, uh, heart palpitations, and numbness and tingling. And I just read a whole list of things that I had experienced but didn't know what was going on. When I found the site, they listed them all. Boom, 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 boom. I thought, for the first time, I thought, well, I'm not, uh, I was convinced I was dying, I was going to have a heart attack. They said, these, are, these symptoms are not hurting you, but you certainly feel them. It's anxiety. And actually, that brought me relief. It really did. Knowledge of what was happening. And for the first time, I felt like my heart was probably, I was going to be all right. One of the questions someone wrote uh, last night and, and gave it was, did you ever have a heart attack? The answer is no, I didn't. Now, I thought I did, and the doctor thought I did, and I felt like I was having them, but, you know, all the symptoms were there. But listen, anxiety can mimic so many things. I never knew that. Chest pain, sweating, back pain. So finding this information really set me on a path to getting better. Knowledge is power. If you know what's happening, it helps you. You know, if you don't know and, and you're having all this, but you don't know what's going on, it's really troubling. But now I was figuring out what was going on. I wasn't dying. This is just something called anxiety, but I'm learning about it. Now, so if you're having health problems or symptoms um, that we've been talking about, the first step would be to go to get checked out by a doctor because you don't want to say, well, it's just anxiety, okay? You, if you're having some issues like this and you, you go to a doctor, they check your heart, they check everything. But remember last night, they checked everything, physical, all the things they checked, they kept coming back. There's no, nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you, okay? If you do that, and then you can realize I've, we've ruled out serious medical issues now it's probably a case of anxiety and depression because it mimics these symptoms. Does that make sense? All right. Um, another question someone asked is this, what is, what is PTSD? Okay. PTSD is a, it stands for post-traumatic stress disorder. A condition of persistent mental or emotional stress occurring as a result of injury or severe, uh, severe psychological shock. It usually causes disturbance to your sleep and a constant vivid recall of experience with dulled responses to others and to the outside world. And I mentioned military and soldiers last night, but they're not the only people that can get that. Uh, some kind of shocking, dramatic thing that happens to a child or somebody else, and they, that flashes back and that, it's just made a mark on their brain. That's PTSD. And it's real. And if you've never had it, be glad. I don't know that I had that, something, a different vein of this. And, but I'm sympathetic when I hear people talk about they struggle with PTSD. They wake up in the middle of the night with nightmares and all that. It's real. We can't just blow it off. Someone asked a question. If, if, um, I think this one came in maybe on the Zoom or, or, or maybe it was on, in the paper, I can't remember. But if you sleep a lot, does that mean that you have depression? My answer is that it can mean that, but not necessarily. I, when I, like I told you last night, when I went through it, my problem was I couldn't sleep. You know, I would sleep just an hour or two hours. I'd wake up and I'd be going. Um, but why I think that that can be a, a sign of depression is because... Um, 
one of the things that happens when you're in depression is that you lose, you lose really the desire to do anything. I mentioned that last night. Hunting, doing, doing other activities, I didn't care about a thing in that, in that deepness. So you lose the desire to do anything. If somebody's in that state, they may just want to sleep all the time, if they can. So I'm not saying it for sure means depression, but maybe it's something to look into. Or you're just a teenager and you want to sleep in, teenage girl, whatever. Um, so you might see somebody that is depressed and they're just tired all the time and... and uh, you know, you want to say, hey, come on, get going. And I just caution you again to try to be understanding, okay? If it's laziness, yeah, we can say that. But if, if you don't understand what they're going through, please just tread with caution. Pray for them. Encourage them. Don't force somebody going through depression. Don't force them to do anything. Come on, we're going to get you better, you know, and you drag them out. Don't, please don't do that. My, my brother, when I was going through this, um, you know, I told him that my mother-in-law suggested that I try to walk and get out of the house and get some air, and, and uh, he would come over every day, and he'd, we'd go for a walk. He'd just, he'd just come and go. We'd go to the church gym, and we'd walk together. We'd walk in silence. I didn't feel like talking. I, wasn't, I told you how my back would hurt so bad, I thought I was going to have a heart attack with each step. But we'd just walk. And then I'd, I'd say, i got to sit down, and that would fade away a little bit, some of the pain, and I'd say, okay, let's go again. But you know what my brother did? He just walked next to me. Sometimes you don't have to say anything. You just walk next to him. And that can mean more to people than, you know, you, you can't say I know how you feel unless you really do. So, Come along people that are, beside people that are hurting and just be there. Just be there. If I couldn't walk, he'd just sit there and we'd just talk for a while and then he'd go pray for me. He just wanted to see me get better and I wanted to get better. So how to recover from anxiety and depression? Trust God in the darkness, number one. Number two, pray for wisdom and trust him. Trust him to guide you and give you the help that you need. We do believe in, that God answers prayer and that God helps us Trust him, pray, and say, Lord, please show me and be looking for him to show you. Number three, exercise. How to get better, exercise. Now, not everybody can exercise. I know that, you know, you get crippled up as you get older and all kinds of things can happen to us. But if you have the ability, um, you want to get better in the situation, exercise produces dopamine in the brain, which is another neurotransmitter. Remember how we talked about neurotransmitters communicate in our brain. Dopamine has been called the feel-good hormone, okay? Um, and so it's the happy hormone. Makes you feel good. You know, some days you feel good. Um, exercise causes our body to, to produce that. Um, and so that, it's helpful to us. Um, I talked to you about last night how I was began walking five miles a day, and just getting out. These are all these are just incremental steps that I took to get better. I'm just trying to share that with you. But walking is good for your heart. It's good for your body. It's just good. 
You know, they say walking is one of the best exercises you can do. And uh, so that's something that you could, if, if someone you know or, or somebody here is struggling with something like that, exercise and a healthy diet will help anyone start feeling better. So to recover from anxiety and depression, exercise is just another piece of the puzzle that can help you get well. So I would include that. Number, number four, um, learn to rest. Learn to rest. This is the one thing that I had to learn to do. We tend to, especially in our you know, mid, younger years and middle years, we tend to go, 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 go. We can stay up late. We can get up early. We can just go. We can go. We can go. We can go. We can go. But sometimes that catches up with you. And sometimes it could lead you to, into something like what happened to me. And I was forced to rest. I, my body, like I told you, it was like an engine running with, with, with the oil was gone. It just seized up. I couldn't do anything. I didn't have a choice. I had to quit. I had to stop. But better to learn to rest now so that doesn't happen to you. To get well from anxiety and depression, you have to rest. You have to de-stress, and that takes time and rest. Um, you know, you want to get better. And this is what's really hard. Okay, this is what's really hard. You tell a pastor you need to, to rest. Well, I'd love to. <laughs> Who's going to preach? I'd love to. Who's going to go visit the sick? I'd love to. Who's going to take this call and this text? And you, something, you just can't stop, you know? Uh, uh, somebody with a bunch of children, a mother with a bunch of children, or a man with a, you know, he's in charge of a business, and he's got to keep things going. And you say, you need to rest. I can't rest, okay? So sometimes you have to, uh, if you're going to get better, if it's bad enough, if, if you're going to get better, you might have to make a dramatic change. Do you want to get better or don't you? Will you be better in the long run? Are you going to be good for your family like this? I think I was telling the pastor about another pastor that I was been helping this last year, and he was, he was really struggling. And I just told him, I said, brother, you, you've got to, you just got to step away from everything. Get the men in your church to step up. Talk to them about this. And uh, if you don't get away, you, 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 your body will not recover. You just, you've got to get away so you can recover and rest. So it's not, a, it's not an easy thing. Um, may require, you know, something drastic, changing your job, whatever, you know, but the goal ought to be in your mind. You know what? I just, I need to get better. I need to get better for my family. For me, I need to get better for my family, but also for our church. They need a pastor that can function. And in my case, as I said yesterday, it was three months that I was able to just, I really, I had to force me to, get away from things and, and rest and relax. Um, when, you're, you're, when you don't de-stress, and of course that takes time and rest, stress builds up over time, and if you never rest, your, your stress levels will never come down. And we talked about this last night. How do you know my stress levels are getting high? Well, I think we all know. Uh, you get on edge. You get short with people. Sometimes you start getting pains in your body. All right? You're stressed. Um, when I was recovering and when I finally, after those three months, began preaching again, I'd come home from church on a Sunday morning and go right, I'd crawl right in bed. I was so exhausted. 
just wiped out. So I would rest. Um, on weekdays, I'd come home in the afternoons. I'd try to work at church and work till about 2, maybe 3 o'clock. And I'd just come home and I wouldn't do a thing. I just would sit, I would read, I would just relax. Because I was trying to get better. And I did that for about a year. And I did get better. And so I know it's not an easy thing to do, but I'm just telling you that rest will do something for you to help you if you're going through that. Um, now, I don't do that anymore, you know, like in that schedule. But I, I still do take time to rest. I, I, if I feel like, you know, things are getting, I try to say, okay, I need to get away. I need to do this or that. I don't want to go back there, and I, I can't. People need a pastor that could be here, you know. So I'm not, I hope you understand, I'm not talking about being lazy, Okay. I'm not talking about being lazy. I'm saying on purpose, trying to... The principle of rest is taught in the Bible. The Sabbath is a day of rest, right? I mean, Jesus said the Sabbath wasn't, it was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It was to give rest. Do you know in, in, the, in times before now when we had lights and electricity and all that, do you know when it got dark out, people went to bed? You know, now what do they do? I mean, you, you think of the Jews with an oil lamp. How, how much work can you get done with a little oil lamp, you know? And it's dark. We're going to bed. We'll get up early in the morning. But now what do we do? We turn on lights. We stay up late. We, you know, and so our rest is, is shorter. Um, I think sometimes it affects us. So I'm not talking about being lazy. I'm talking about getting better from anxiety and depression. You must give your body time to recover or you won't get better. If you listen, think about this. If we keep doing the same things that got us into it, we're going to go right back into it. So learn to exercise, make it a discipline, learn to rest, include it in your life. Write this down. If you want to write this down, I think it's good. This is what Charles Spurgeon said. said. He said, most of us spend all our hours and days doing and neglect our being. Most of us spend all our hours and days doing and neglect our being. He said, in the long run, we will do more by sometimes doing less. There's great wisdom in giving our bodies and minds rest. Someone asked, wrote a question last night. Somebody asked, did Charles Spurgeon ever know why he was depressed? Of course, I can't know that for sure, but I don't think that he did because he called his depression he called it causeless depression. He said, I don't know why. He'd say, he'd talk about, I don't know why. So I don't think he knew. I think that it was brought about by stress in his life because of what we talked about last night. We talked about early on when he was a young man, they built that big tabernacle and packed full of people and some kids in the back yelled fire and everybody tried to get out and there was a big stampede and, and seven people were trampled to death. And that really affected him. He felt responsible for that. And his wife said, he wasn't the same after that. You know, he struggled after that. He'd have these times of... And besides that, he was a tremendously busy, had so much going on. Um, he was an extremely busy man, but 
when we read about his life, we know that he would eventually crash. He would have to go away for months at a time to rest and recover. To go to France. Was it France? Is that where he would go? Yeah. By, by the seaside. So anxiety and depression doesn't usually happen to lazy people. They, they say that over half the CEOs in our country develop anxiety and depression because of the tremendous stress that they're under. It's, a, it's an A personality that gets it because they just keep going, keep going, keep going. Learn to rest. Under this topic of healing and recovery from anxiety and depression, we've talked about trusting God in the darkness, praying for wisdom, and trusting God to guide you, to help you uh, meet your need, exercise, and the important role it can play in your healing and overall well-being. Uh, we talked about rest. The last thing I want to talk to you about, and then we'll take some questions, I want to talk to you about medicine, all right? I know people have a, different, a lot of different ideas and thoughts, strong feelings about medicine one way or the other, and I'm not here to promote medicine. Someone asked a question about it, and I'm just going to answer what I did, okay? This is a, this is a decision between you and the Lord, um, but I'll just tell you what I did. I'm not a doctor, but I'll try to explain what I know about what it took to get me better. My doctor, as I mentioned last night, put me on two medications when I was sick. They really helped me to get well. Uh, They really did. The long-term medication that I was on was an SSRI. Somebody asked, what what is an SSRI? An SSRI stands for Serotonin-Specific Reuptake Inhibitor. Okay? So... We talked about serotonin last night. It's a chemical um, in the brain called a neurotransmitter that allows, remember we made this, you know, these fingers and how they communicate, and they, they, there's that chemical pond in there, and that's serotonin, and when that's depleted, things are not communicating, okay? So what does an SS, as best I understand, what does an SS or SRI do, SSRI do? It really doesn't do anything to you, it's more of a, it keeps, it keeps your body from cannibalizing the serotonin. The stress will use that up, and you need that to, to communicate, your, your, your mind to communicate. So stress depletes that, and this medicine, what it does is it blocks that from depleting it and allows your serotonin level to naturally build back in your brain so that things are communicating again, okay? So if I had this if I had this bottle of water and uh, I'm really stressed and really just things are happening and it, it, this, this is going down, okay? And then, I, then I'm experiencing the phenomenon of depression. I'm feeling awful. Heart's racing. I'm in the panic, fight or flight mode because my body's saying that it's time to run and get out of here in fear, but there's nothing to fear and and I've got these pains. All the, it just messes a lot of things up. So you take this medicine, it blocks the stress from using up that your body continually, your body produces this serotonin. It's a natural thing that happens. And when that's blocked, what it happens, you get this level comes back up. All right? And then when it's come back, then things communicate and you feel better. That's what happened to me. It took six weeks for the SSRI to, to do its work. And the doctor said it'll only... You know, you, you've got to listen. You've got to take it every day. You can't miss. And it will take four to six weeks for it to help you. 
And she, if to, for me, it was almost six weeks to the day. I was waiting. Trust me, I was waiting for it to kick in and get better. I wanted to be better. I felt so awful. Okay? So um, the SSRI that I was put on was called Zoloft or Sertraline. There's a, a, every name brand has a generic brand. Okay? And that's the one that I was put on. It took six weeks before it kicked in, but when it did, I got better. Um, the doctor gave me another medication um, to help me until that one kicked in, and it was, a, uh, it was called Alprazolam. And uh, what it did for me is because, remember how I was stuck in that um, going 24-7, just rolling, and what that, when I take that, what it did is it slowed things down. And actually, I found I couldn't pray, I couldn't think, I was just a mess. When I took that in about 30 minutes, slowed things down, I could relax, and I actually could pray. And I actually could, you know, it took away the agony for a brief time. And it helped me. Now, I'm not saying you should, you should or shouldn't or have to. I'm just telling you, this helped me. This, is what my, this was my journey, okay? And um, when I got better, when that, when that other one kicked in, guess what? I didn't need that short-term one anymore. And uh, so it was, it was a temporary thing to... What, I'm just saying what the medication allowed me to do was get better because I was in such a hole, okay? Now, I'm sure there's other things you can do to try to get about things we talked about, rest and exercise and all these things, but I was in such a hole I had to get out of there, okay? And so that helped me to get, get out of it. And um, I'm not saying that you need to... You have to take medication to get better, but I believe I did... Um, because I knew where I was and I knew where I got back out and it helped me greatly. Now, after a year with my doctor's permission, I was able to wean myself off the medication. I, I didn't want to be on it. I, you know, it was helped me and I was thankful, but I wanted to see. So, so here's the thing. Somebody asked a question. Let me see. Um, find this question. Somebody sent this one in. Um, it said how to deal with anger and irritation that comes from depression and anxiety medication withdrawal. I'm a mom of two littles, and I have a history of severe depression. I was on some meds, and with my crazy life, I spaced taking my meds to the point where the next thing I knew, it's been months, and now I'm irritated and angry all the time. Okay, so here's the thing about the medications. People just get tired of taking them or they get feeling better and they say, I don't need that, and they throw it away, okay? I'm, I'm for you trying to get off them, but you cannot just quit cold turkey, okay? There's a process. You talk to your doctor and you cut back. If the doctor's in, is you know, counseling and say, okay, I think you're doing better. I think you should, well, you got to cut back in increments because it can really mess you up. I know people have just stopped and boy, do they go into a hole, okay? So just... Just talk with the doctor. You need a doctor that understands, too. Okay? You need to try to do some research and find a doctor that has dealt with this because uh, not all doctors are experts in everything, right? You know, a general practitioner, they, you know, they kind of, a family doctor, they cover a lot of stuff. But there's certain doctors that specialize in certain things. So if you go to just a, a doctor that, um, just kind of a general doctor, does a lot of things, and they just get a book off their, Oh, you're having these symptoms? Okay, sounds like depression. They get a book off. They read under D. Okay, you have depression. Okay, you take this and this. Okay. 
but they don't really understand. They're not specialized. They haven't studied it like somebody that's their specific field. So you want to find somebody, a doctor that um, has done some history, that knows about this and can explain it to you and, and work with you to, uh, if it's okay to, to get off it, then you're better, then just do it with some guidance. So I'm not, I don't know this lady that sent that in, and I, and I hope that she can get some help and get better. I think maybe what happened to her was that um, she just quit cold turkey. She took it sporadically. Um, but it can make you, you know, all this stuff can really mess us up. So we just need to be careful with it. Um, I was off. I told you I weaned off my medication. I was off my medication for two years. felt great. Everything's good. Um, but after two years, I started getting some symptoms again of it, of, uh, well, I, something's happening, okay? So I didn't wait. I knew what this was. I've been here before. I didn't want to go down there again. So I went to my doctor, and I said, hey, I think I'm, you know, it was my choice in the first place to get off, and now I'm saying, you know what, it's, I, I might need, and she said, I'm, oh, we'll put you back on, okay? And the SSRI. And um, the second bout of my depression was not as bad as the first one. I didn't near go as near as deep, but I think part of that is because I knew what it was. I understood how it's happening. I got some, some this medication that allowed my serotonin to get built back up. And um, it did take another full year, though, before things were back, you know, back to normal. Um, I mentioned yesterday about a pastor named Tommy Nelson down in Texas that I ordered that book from, and I read it, and he really helped me. And uh, so I called him. I said, wow, this guy is um, helpful to me. I, I wonder if I can call him. There's a big Bible church down in Texas, and uh, talked to the secretary, and she left a message. He called me back. And I just said, you know, I appreciate what you... Uh, he'd spoke on it. I saw him speaking, and I read that book, and I appreciate you. He said, it really helped me. You know, I... Thought I was the only one that ever had this, and he, and uh, I said, I just have a couple questions for you. I wanted to know if uh, if you were, you know, if you're still on your medication or if you're able to get off. And this is what he said to me. He said, I I tried to get off three times, and uh, each time it came back. And I don't know that how much time was in between, but he said he said I came to the conclusion that um, I just need to be on it. I just need a maintenance dose to be on it. And he said, because of what I went through and how people have found out about it, I get a lot of people coming to me for counseling and, and help with this because they've heard about it. And he said this, about half the people that I counsel can get off the medication and be good the rest of their life. Some people just need to stay on. You know, that's, that's the makeup that they have. Um, so right now I, I'm on a maintenance dose of that. And I, I've, in the future I'll probably try to wean off again. I don't have guarantee that I won't need to go back on it. And listen, honestly, I'm just being transparent. It doesn't bother me to be on the medication. I don't feel guilt about it. I don't feel like I'm not right with God because what I couldn't do without it when I was so low, now I can preach. Now I can serve the Lord. Now I can help my family, okay? And it's, and it's helping, you know. And I believe that God gives us doctors, all right? And if you come up to me after and say, you know, I think you're in sin for taking the medication, it won't bother me a bit. I have peace with God about it, all right? Um, but I understand there's another side that people, people feel very strong, and that's, you know, aren't you glad we all can have our opinions, okay? 
And I'm not pushing this on anybody, but I am saying if there's somebody that's really struggling and they're so miserable and so in such a bad place, they might need it, okay? They might. And I just want people to get help. Um, I, when I say that, I want you to understand that I'm, I'm not trusting in medication to get through life. I think you've heard what I've said tonight. I'm trusting in the Lord to get me through life. But I believe God gives us doctors, don't you? Even the Apostle Paul traveled and he had his own private doctor, the beloved physician, Luke, right? Why did Paul need a doctor to travel with him? <laughs> I don't know, maybe because he was beaten with rods and, you know, broken bones and stoned and he probably had all kinds of health needs. Dr. Luke was right there to take care of him. God gives us doctors. God gives wisdom and understanding. And God gives us help. Um, let me close with one last question, and then I'll take some questions from you. Um, someone asked this, who, they said, who, what, when, and where can I turn to for peace? Okay. And the answer to that question is, to me, is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He is called the Prince of Peace in the Scriptures. His blood sacrifice on the cross for our sins is what makes it possible for us to have peace with God. And I promise you, you can have peace in your life. You call on the name of Jesus, repenting of your sin, trusting Him to be your Savior, and you'll have peace in your soul. It will give you the greatest peace you've ever known, the peace of knowing Him, knowing God personally, and the peace of knowing that you're going to heaven when you die. We're all going to die, folks. It's a matter of time, right? Unless the rapture happens, we're all going to die. Okay, But aren't you glad we can know where we're going? Because of this book, because of our Savior? All right, I have that peace in my heart. Do you have it tonight? I hope that you do. He's our peace.